Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for my guy Noah. I pray that this episode helps a ton of people. Lord, I pray it helps young people, old people, women, men alike, just move forward in their faith, continue to honor you in everything that they do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Noah, man, thanks for being on. Something that's obviously massive that's happening in your life right now is you're planting a church in Nashville. How did that decision come about? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I both, we have um, for several years now felt like church planting was something that God was calling us to um, for a bunch of different reasons. The main reason is we both were always intrigued with these crazy people who would just plop into a city. Uh, You know, it it kind of felt like church planters were... um, like equal parts brave and equal parts stupid. And uh, I definitely related to the stupid part. My wife related to the brave part. And so um, we started praying about it uh, when we, even before we got married. And then especially once we got married, knew it was kind of something that would be a part of our future. And um, ultimately we landed on Nashville because a mentor of ours who has planted several churches, he was like, hey, the biggest piece of advice I could give you is to plant in the city that you love the most. And um, I was like, man, that's a really interesting uh, thing to say. Why, why would you say that? And he said, because if you love the city that you plant in, when the ministry is no longer sexy, when people are no longer supporting you know, and uh, applauding what you're doing, you'll stay because you love the city, not because of any other factor. Um, and when he said that, it really resonated with us because Nashville has been our favorite city, both of us individually for years. Um, and so we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, we're supposed to, we're supposed to play in Nashville. And um, the next six months or so, we really prayed about it. We fasted about it. We uh, made three different trips to Nashville to um, meet with different pastors and leaders who are already here. And just ask for their blessing, like, "Hey, what do you think about this? This is what we're this is what we're praying about." And um, just the reception was so welcoming. Um, and so now we're here. We've been here for two months, and uh, we're doing the thing. We're going for it. <laughs> yeah. So, what's been the hardest part about this whole process? You think? Um, man, I think uh, my wife would probably answer it a little bit different than me. But from my perspective, it's been um, the fundraising part, which sounds really like surface level, uh, whatever. But when you announce that you're going to plant a church, there is, especially in a, in a city like Nashville, that's, that's very expensive. Um, you know, a lot of people moving here, uh, everyone in your circle knows that you need money. And so you start sending out text messages and it's almost like in the back of your mind, you're like, they think I'm texting them for money. And you might be, you might be texting them for money, but it just has created this, uh, this really, um, weird, unique tension where, uh, I'm always feeling like this urge to raise more money, but I'm also fighting that urge to like rest in, Hey, if God called us to this, he's going to provide, I don't have to strive, but at the same time, like I need to do what I can do. Um, and so money is like the, the area of my life that, I tend to trust God the least in, if I'm being honest. And so um, with planting a church in Nashville, like money is a huge need. And so I've just had to 
on a daily basis, uh, try to, to continue to put that before the Lord and, and trust God with the, the fundraising side of stuff. Did you anticipate it being this hard, the fundraising aspect? Because I think that's what I think about when I, when I imagine planting a church, people often ask me, Nick, do you, would you, could you ever see yourself leading a church, planting a church? And at this point in my career, I'd say to myself and to them, uh, no, because of <laughs> the fact that I like where I can just show up, do ministry, not have to think about it, collect a paycheck. For you, you had that and prior, I assume. What what do you think for someone who maybe is like you, who's like, I want to step out, maybe not plant a church, but they want to do something that makes them uncomfortable. They're in a great spot yeah. as they are, but they want to step out and do something a little crazy. What insights would you provide for that type of person? Man, I would say uh, to that person, you are right around the corner from seeing God um, be the only way uh, to explain what's happening in your life. Um uh, my wife and I, we have this, this thing where, um, we constantly remind ourselves that we want our family, our individual life, um, our kids life to, to, you know, be a life that only God could get the credit for. That's, that's our saying. And what we mean by that is like, if you only do things that are comfortable, if you only do things that are, um, are things that you're good at, that you have, you know, kind of cornered the market on, so to speak. It's really easy for people to just look at you and be like, yeah, that makes sense because they're really gifted at that or they're really talented at that. Like, like good for Noah. Um, but when you say yes to the uncomfortable, to the, the areas of weakness, to the areas of insecurity, to hard things, um, I think you actually put yourself in a position where God has to show up. And, um, that is the coolest place, uh, for me, uh, in my walk with the Lord, because I can take a step back and, and I, I can just go, this is, this is God. Like you guys know me, you know what I could do in my own strength. It's not this. Um, and those are the stories in the Bible that have, you know, repeatedly left me inspired. It's, it's the stories of faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And, uh, a lot of what, I have done in my life to this point has required very little faith. And so I want to see God show up. I want to please the Lord. And so I would say you should want that too, because uh, we only have a limited amount of time on this earth. Why not uh, live it in a way where God does m- miraculous things in your life? Yeah, absolutely. And so obviously there's hard parts, many more hard parts, I'm sure, than just the finances and the things that I assume you will continue to figure out of, gosh, this is complex. Man, this stresses me out. Man, this is heavy. But as you're stepping out in faith, what do you think has been the best part? The thing that you looked at that you did not anticipate prior to this journey? Oh, man. Um, easy answer to that is the amount of people who have moved here uh, just to be a part of this church. It has been the craziest thing. Um, someone who's really close to us, a guy who used to disciple me for for several years, um, he told me, he said, Noah, everything in you is going to want to try to convince people to move to Nashville with you. And, uh, he was like, I urge you not to. And I was like, what? Like, I have to, like, I have to, you know, I need to do this. And he was like, no, what you need to do is you need to pray and make sure that the vision you have for way church is from the Lord. And then what you need to do is you need to cast that vision as much as you can. And you don't need to convince anybody to come. Uh, let the Holy Spirit 
convince people to come because if you convince people to come, you'll have to convince them to stay uh, on year one and year two and year three. And it'll just be a constant uh, convincing thing. And he said, if you let the Lord convince people to move, uh, you'll be able to, to just, uh, to just walk in what God has for you and, and not have to strive so much. And so we did that, even though it was very hard for us to, you know, have people in the back of our minds that we wanted to ask to join us. Uh, but we did it, you know, we would share the vision over, over coffee and be like, man, we're so excited about what God's going to do. And then where we would normally go, Hey, would you pray about this? We would just go pray for us, you know, like we would just kind of leave it. And um, man, we have uh, a couple from Dallas, Texas that just moved here with their two kids uh, to be a part. Another couple from Orlando, Florida. Uh, We have two couples from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, just people literally going, hey, I'm giving up my job. I'm giving up my my family being close uh, because I feel like God spoke to me. That's been the most encouraging thing um, because it's just a constant reminder to us. God is in this. Like we didn't we didn't bribe them. We didn't offer them a position. Uh, we didn't do anything. They are just coming because they hear the, the voice of the Lord too. So that's my easy answer. Yeah, I love that because... People don't recognize the power of prayer until they do something that they in themselves could never do otherwise. Totally. You know, when, we, when we stay in our comfort zone, of course, like, yeah, I mean, my skill set can absolutely cover the gap that I have here. I'm a good enough speaker. I'm a good enough leader. I'm good enough with people. Therefore, my prayer life can be weak because I know I have the skill set to cover the gap. But it's only when you step out and do something like you're doing, planting a church. How do I plant a church? Because you're 27, right? Yeah, I turned 28 uh, in a week, so right. I'm, I'm holding on. That's crazy because we're the same age, and as I think about that, I want to vomit because I'm looking <laughs> at myself and thinking, man, these are the challenges that I face, and I'm already mildly stressed about that. But it's when you step out and do something like what you're doing that you have to say, I got to get on my knees. I got to give this a yeah. God because without God, literally, tangibly, practically, this is impossible. Mm-hmm. I have well, to get the anointing of God and the guidance of God on my side in this or else – I will fail. And not only will I fail, but you know, there will be such a disappointment when it comes to that. And I want to make sure God is in this because if he's not in it, I don't want to be in it. And this totally. is the type of move that you're making. But you posted something thinking about skill sets and thinking about yeah. tangible stuff. You posted something on Instagram I thought was super interesting. You said discipleship is greater than leadership. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I, I mean uh, exactly what I posted and more. Um, discipleship should be our priority uh, as followers of Jesus. I think the last words of Jesus should be the first thing we think about um, on a daily basis, go and make disciples. Um, and I think uh, we live in a time where leadership Um, leadership is fun to talk about. Like, let's be real. Like it is just, it's fun. You know, the secular world admires leadership because leadership ultimately leads to more money. Um, and we've seen this weird thing happen in the church where like leadership went, you know, 20 years ago, leadership was valued in the church for sure. Um, but it went from being something that was valued to being something that like, just totally was overcompensated for, in my opinion. And now uh, we don't measure how many disciples we're making. We measure how many leaders we have on our team. Uh, we like it's it's even crept over to our language. And so that post was uh, it was not to bash people who care about leadership. I listen to a ton of leadership podcasts. I love 
uh, Craig Rochelle. I love Kerry Newhoff. I love all the legends. I, and I know that they get it. They, they prioritize discipleship in their own life over leadership. But I think for a lot of young guys, especially a lot of young girls who are getting into ministry, when, when the church is so loud about leadership and so quiet about discipleship, it can get really confusing. Hey, what matters most? Uh, there's the saying, what's celebrated gets repeated. And leadership is celebrated way more in the church right now, uh, at least in the United States, than discipleship is. And so I was simply saying, hey, um, the, the priority should be discipleship. And if you are a great disciple and if you are making other disciples, you are going to be a great leader. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, but I think you can be a great leader and actually never be a great disciple. Um, and I think ultimately, uh, a lot of the times when we see moral failures um, in the church, outside of the church, that is what we have. We have people who maybe are great leaders who weren't really uh, great disciples or, or didn't really have accountability, weren't being actively discipled above. Um, and, and then it just, it could happen to any of us. And so I'm a huge proponent of discipleship. My life has been changed because of it. And, um, I'm just trying to, you know, shout that message a little bit from the rooftop. What do you think about moral failures? Because you have an interesting perspective on it now entering the lead elder role, because that's a lot of, that's a lot more weight than you've ever carried in your pastoral career. At least, I mean, you're a father, that's way more weight than you'll ever carry as a pastor. Yeah. But yeah, professionally, if we recognize it, we've already seen it. Someone fails yeah. in their integrity, whether it's an affair, yeah. whether it's another decision, that crushes a church. <clears throat> what totally. do you think, what type of effects do you feel like moral failures have had generally on the church as you're looking to plant the church and looking at these types of things and gaining trust with different people enough to yeah. ask for their money, right? Yeah. How do you feel like it's affected the church? church-wide and how do you feel like it affects you as you move forward into that type of role? Yeah, I, I think you said the word um, and it's trust. I think the church has lost trust, uh, not just uh, outside of the church with unbelievers, but I think a lot of, of young believers have um, lost their trust in the church. There was a study that I saw someone post about the other day that talked about Gen Z and it said like 29% of Gen Z believes that the church is trustworthy, um, which is just astonishing. Uh, but I think things like moral failures have contributed to that. But here's the thing about the, the moral failure thing, Nick, is like my response to a moral failure as a follower of believer, it should always be heartbreak. It should always be sadness. Um, it's really broken, broken my heart to see a moral failure and then to see uh, followers of Jesus respond to it with like, I told you so, I told you he was a fraud. I told you, you know, she wasn't the real deal. All these things like, like if we are really unified in, uh, in one body, when one of us fails, we're heartbroken. We want, uh, that person to, uh, be able to salvage their family, to be able to figure out a way back to restoration. Like that should be our heart. Um, I think the other thing that the, the part of the conversation, you didn't ask about this, but I'm just going to keep going because I'm really passionate about this, is um, if, uh, if we as the church, you know, keep treating people as uh, gods with lowercase g, eventually people will believe they are one. And so um, there are a lot of times when I think these moral failures have been aided by the way we, and it's not just you know, people who attend church, it's, it's most of the time ministry leaders. Uh, we go, 
instead of saying, hey, they're really gifted, they're really anointed, it takes this extra step up. And when everyone is, is putting you on a step above that, um, it's really hard to fight. And so, uh, yeah, I think really practically at Way Church, you know, I'm very conscious and aware that I'm one decision away from being another person like that. Like we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all prone uh, to give in to fleshly desires. And so some practical things that that we're doing is like, um, we are not planning for any sort of moral failure. We have all sorts of accountability in place, but we also uh, are not trying to build a church around Noah Heron. Uh, we're trying to build a church around Jesus Christ. We have multiple great leaders who are going to teach and preach. Um, we have multiple great leaders who are who are going to be on the platform. Uh, ultimately, my wife and I will will be leading the church, but um, we're building a church around Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going to have accountability in place to where hopefully, even if something did happen to me or someone else the church would go on in a really healthy way because the people who are there are not there because uh, of me or my wife. I know they're not not there because of me, but my wife um, or, or one of the other great leaders on our team. Yeah. So something that is the elephant in the room is. Hey guys, before jumping back into the episode, I want to give a huge shout out to this show's sponsor, Making Him Known Apparel Company. Making Him Known is run by my guy, Aaron. And Aaron does an awesome job of making apparel that draws others to Jesus. They have hoodies, tees, totes, stickers, and much more stuff coming soon, all at makinghimknown.com, which will be linked in the show notes. So if you want to support this podcast, go support Making Him Known and go get you some awesome apparel. And you mentioned this in a previous reel talking about faithfulness. As pastors, we're called to be faithful, not famous. Yet, here's the dilemma nowadays. I run a podcast. You have an Instagram, other social media yeah. sites. You are effective at what you do. I don't mean to blow up your ego, but that's just the reality. That's mm-hmm. why you're sitting in here and I'm talking to you instead of somebody else. Is because you are obviously effective at ministry, so therefore people <laughs> follow you in that. How do you balance the fact that I'm good at this and people naturally want to digest the content that I put out versus building something around yourself because that's easy, yeah. right? Like people want to see me preach, so therefore I preach and I put out as much stuff that I can. How totally. do you limit that? You mentioned accountability structures. What does that look like tangibly? Maybe someone's listening to this and they're hearing you speak and they're not planting a church, but yeah, man, people appreciate what they bring to the table. And they're trying yeah. to figure out a way to not get too high on themselves to where they feel like they're invincible. What would you tell that person practically on how to be able to alleviate that? So uh, the first thing I would say is humility is the easiest uh, you know, attribute to, to fake. And so no one's going to know how your heart's really doing except for you and God. Um, even, even if you're married listening to this, you're, you can hide it from your wife. Like, let's just be honest. If, if the praise is getting to your head, it is very easy to say the right thing. Um, do the, you know, do the right thing and for your heart to be slowly eroding away. And so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just go through a couple of things that, that we're doing to fight that erosion. Um, the first thing is I, we strongly believe in people who, uh, who smell your armpits. <laughs> so, uh, basically we just mean like people who they know the real you and with social media, it is very easy to go, um, a mile wide and an inch deep. 
where it feels like everybody knows you, but nobody really knows you. Um, We have two couples in our life who are the same age as us, who um, we are around uh, multiple times a week, uh, who we confess sin to, who we talk about the, the temptations that we struggle with. Um, shoot, we even have a rule with the small, like this, this, these two couples, this small group, where if we're going to spend a certain amount of money, we have to tell that to the other two couples because we just want to make sure that we are dragging things into the light that might potentially mess with our hearts. Um, the second thing is uh, we talked about discipleship just a second ago. Um, you never graduate out of being discipled, in my opinion. If you want to finish well, and you want to finish faithful, you have got to be actively being discipled by somebody. So uh, we moved to Nashville two months ago. There's a man who I've known um, not that long, maybe a year, who lives here in Nashville, who um, I look up to in more ways than one, his family life. Uh, He's not in vocational ministry, but he's got a phenomenal ministry. Um, He is a business leader. He's just a guy who, when I'm around him, uh, I feel like I'm I'm around someone who's been with Jesus. And so as soon as we moved here, I took him to coffee. I said, hey, uh, thanks for the time. I would like to ask something of you. I would love it if you would consider discipling me. Here's what that looks like to me. Could we meet every other week and spend X amount of time together? Could you go through scripture with me? Could we pray together? Can I confess real sin to you? Uh, can, can you call me out on stuff when you, you see me post something? If you think that I posted it to be impressive instead of being helpful, um, like real stuff. And here's the thing, you could never do that. And you could say that you're doing it and no one would know. That's why, uh, pride is such a dangerous, dangerous sin because nobody knows it's there except for you. And um, sometimes we're even good at hiding it from ourselves. And so I would just say, ultimately, if you want to finish faithful, it's going to be up to you and whether or not you actually take the steps to, um, you know, uh, these accountability steps. Those are the two big ones. Let people smell you and, and you have to have someone who's discipling you and you've given the authority to, to kind of call you out. Yeah, and I think that's such a good word, too. And providing accountability, I mean, the lack of accountability creates a massive avenue for sin to walk down. But when you have accountability, it can really eliminate so many things. When you just are able to rub shoulders, lock eyes with somebody, and they're able to look at you point blank and say, no, that is not wise. That's not good. You need to go the other way. This is going to be terrible for your marriage, terrible for the church, whatever that may be. As long as people are able to do that, man, that can offset so many situations where sin inevitably wants to jump straight into that. I think a place that sin also wants to jump into nowadays, especially, I talked with Keenan Clark last week on this. He talked about how pastors don't know the Bible, how a lot of pastors get up there and we discussed that speeches are easy, but homiletics is hard. That anybody yeah. can give up and give three points, poignant points, alliterations, rhymes, this, this, and totally. that. It sounds really nice. I post this on Instagram, whatever. But homiletics, dis- dissecting the scriptures, coming up with good, conservative, solid theology is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. As you're planting this church, how who is speaking into your theology? For example, right? you mentioned that you and your wife are pastors. There's a disagreement yeah. among churches right there, right? Is whether a yeah. woman should serve as a pastor, you know, versus totally. a man serving in that role or whatever. And now we're not here to discuss right or wrong, but how do you come to those conclusions and who speaks into that? Yeah. So great question, man. Um, 
we have a board at Way Church that's made up of five people. Um, three of them are uh, local church pastors, and then one of them is an evangelist, and another is a businessman um, who I would I would uh, say his theology is better than about ninety nine percent of the people, <laughs> even pastors yeah. that I've met. That's often um, how it is. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so they're, they're the first uh, place. Uh, our board is very hands-on and very active. Uh, the reason we don't have a local board yet is because we don't have our first service yet. We will have a local board once once that happens. But our board is the first place. Um, I would say, uh, theologically, I think um, the, the ultimate... Uh, the ultimate litmus test. I don't, I don't know what you want to call it for, for pastors is like how, how well read are you and how hungry are you to continue to learn? I'll be the first to tell you, Nick, I went to college. Um, you you may not know this about me. I, I went to college not to be a pastor. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And so, um, my senior year of college, I ended up uh, starting a Bible study, kind of committed my life to the Lord and, and started growing. And I haven't looked back. I've been in ministry since that Bible study. And so a lot of what I have learned theologically has had to come from a place of reading, taking online courses on my own time. Um, you know, what's the, the old famous quote? Um, uh, a passion to preach without the hunger to study is a desire yep. to perform. I messed it up, but it, you, you get the premise. The way you said um, it sounds good. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I think, I think you, you need people who are close to you, who can check you on your stuff. Uh, I know when I write a new sermon, I'm always getting as many eyes on it as possible before I actually preach it. People who I trust theologically. I'm not talking about peers who are in the same season as me. I'm talking about people who have preached uh, more sermons than, uh, than I've thought about preaching in their lifetime. And saying, "Hey, what do you think about this? Um, you know, particularly this part of the sermon. Did I articulate this well? Is this going to leave any confusion? Um, those types of things. I think whatever you can do, just like the accountability uh, when it comes to a, a, a holy and you know versus versus sinful situation. I think um, as pastors and leaders, we have to do as much as we can accountability wise to make sure that that we're still hungering to grow in our theology as well." Oh, 100%. You even posted something on preaching the other day. You posted four things. What are those four things that you mentioned if you have them off the top of your head? They were some gold. Yeah. Um, the first one, I should have made this one. Uh, well, it was the last one on the the post, but I should have made this one the first one is um, I think every single sermon should come back to the gospel of Jesus, uh, You know, living a, a perfect, blameless life, dying on the cross for our sins, and then raising from the grave. Um, I think every sermon uh, that doesn't have that is not totally complete. Long story short, I preached a sermon one time that I felt really, really good about. And I sent it to a preaching hero of mine uh, to, to get some critiquing and coaching. But Nick, I was fully expecting him to just clap and be like, that was incredible. Yeah. And he responded with a 10-minute voice memo where he basically ripped me a new one and said, that was horrible. You did not bring it back to Jesus. What if there was someone there who didn't know Christ? Um, he was like, you just preached to an echo chamber. He's like, you said some stuff that was good. But ultimately, if our preaching is not intended to pierce the heart of man uh, who doesn't know the Lord, then what are we doing? So that was one. Um, if your living is more powerful than your preaching, your preaching will always be more powerful. 
I, I believe that wholeheartedly that the best preachers that I know, um, they live out the word of God and they, they hunger for the word. They're up before their families seeking the face of the Lord. Um, and then the, the third one was the goal is to leave people impressed with Jesus, not with you. Uh, there were so many times early on in preaching where I made myself uh, a hero in the story. Uh, it's just not good. It's a little cringeworthy and it's not powerful preaching. Um, and then the, the fourth one, uh, this is, you know, not to be a subtweet at, at, uh, at younger, you know, youth pastors, but I do think those of us who start young, we're, we're tempted, um, to dress, uh, super cool and make sure that we've got, you know, funny jokes and all that stuff. But man, the, the sermons and the rooms that I've been in where life change truly happens, uh, the preacher was not dressed cool. There was not a ton of laughing, but the Holy Spirit moved in a tangible way because the word of God was preached and it convicted hearts and it led people to repentance. And I think if you tell jokes and if you dress cool, uh, that's fine, but you've got to have the other stuff and that's got to be the priority or or it's ultimately just a, a conversation that you're having and people are looking at you going, you're not quite as funny as Kevin Hart. Uh, but you're trying really hard. <laughs> yeah, bro, so. I, I want to echo you too because we have comedians. Let them be funny. We have yeah. <clears throat> prolific communicators, politicians, whatever, that can do some of the things that we're trying to fill the gaps in. And the reality is we are pastors first and foremost. Help people move forward in their walk with Jesus Christ and let that be the primary thing. I love this because I like alliteration. You don't have to have you don't have yeah. to have an alliteration. I like yeah. rhyming. It doesn't have to rhyme. What it needs to be is authentic, real, raw, convicting, and encouraging yeah. and compelling for a Christian to be able to say, okay, I'm here, but God calls me there. Totally. And the pastor's job is to move, help, encourage, and facilitate the sanctifi sanctification process of the Holy Spirit and get yeah. them to move forward and take their next step with Jesus Christ. So okay. I want to echo that, man. That's a great so word. I, I shared that post. That was a dope <laughs> post. But man, we have a a minute and a half left and you've gone through so much in this recent season, planting a church, leaving yeah. a church, a thriving ministry, trying to create another thriving ministry somewhere else in this whole season. What do you think is the greatest lesson God has taught you or is teaching you right now as a result? Man. Um, I'll just, I'll just share the message that's been on my heart for the last nine months, uh, kind of on this journey. And, and it's not particularly related to, uh, like, like specifically to church planting or what we're doing at way church, although it is relevant. Um, I was reading, uh, in the book of Matthew where Jesus multiplies, uh, the fish sticks and the Texas toast in, in, uh, Matthew chapter six. And, um, Man, God convicted me so heavily. You know, I've preached that that passage um, dozens of times in different ways, but I was reading it and um, I was thinking about, uh, you know, in, in the book of John, in that same story, Jesus, uh, at the end of it, he says, I'm the bread of life. And um, it's it's this... This, this statement that Jesus says that's one of the most uh, theologically popular statements. It's, it's something that uh, is turned into whole sermon series. And so I, I've been very familiar, like I've preached the miracle and then I've preached the I am the bread of life. But for the first time in my walk with the Lord, 
I realized that the two were super tied together in that the people who received the miracle, um, the very next day, they go to the other side of the lake to find Jesus and uh, they're asking for more bread. And that's when Jesus responds and says, you know, you're never going to get full on this, this kind of bread. I am the bread of life. Uh, paraphrasing Jesus's words right now, but it hit me on Friday, the bread was a miracle. It was, it was a gift, but on Saturday, the bread was a God. And, um, I think gods in our life, idols, they always start out as gifts. And, um, the last nine months I've been walking through a season of, slowly realizing that there are some gifts that God has given me that I had turned into lowercase gods in my life. Um, and that there were some things, uh, so, some dreams even that I had turned into lowercase gods in my life. And so the, the kind of word that I'm walking through right now um, is if your dream is more important than your king, uh, something has got to change. And so uh, I'm very much uh, living that out right now. I'm going through that sanctification process right now. I'm so grateful for it, um, for the, the timing that it's happening uh, in my life. I'm grateful that this isn't happening 10 years down the road, um, but I'm truly falling back in love with Jesus to the point where I feel like I can honestly say, hey, Jesus is is more important than my dream or my goals or my plans. You know, I want to do this, this plant well. I want to, I want to lead Way Church for the rest of my life. But ultimately, if Way Church fails, um, Jesus is enough for me, and uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Mm, bro, that is a word, and man, I want to be respectful of your time. So. Man, we just appreciate you being on, and you sprouted so much wisdom for everybody listening. And so, man, Noah, thanks for being on today, bro. You're yeah. a stud. Dude, thanks for having me, Nick. It's such an honor.